0: You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. Wisconsin food share benefits and requirements have seen some changes since the start of the COVID pandemic that's left some people confused. The director of Wisconsin Medicaid is here with us to give us an update on how the program has changed in the last few years, uh, months, I should say, who's eligible, what benefits they can expect, and how to get started. You could join in at 800-642-1234. Are you using FoodShare now or have you in the past? How did it help you? What was the application experience like? And do you have questions about how it all works? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. You can also email ideas at wpr.org. Jamie Kuhn is the director of Medicaid at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, where she oversees the Food Share program. Jamie, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I want to clarify some terms here. Now, people might hear at the federal level about a SNAP, the Food Assistance Program, but here in Wisconsin, we're talking about Food Share. Same thing?
1: Exactly. Yep. Food Share is what Wisconsin calls the federal program
0: and we sometimes use the phrase food stamps uh, colloquially uh, we don't technically have the stamps anymore but is food share the program that replaced that in effect
1: yes yep exactly we don't we have we have quest cards now so there are no longer food stamps
0: okay now things changed a uh, sum over the covid pandemic when it comes to a, a lot of public service or benefit programs congress uh, loosened up some of the guidelines what changed uh, early in COVID and what has changed back with the end of the declared emergency?
1: Yeah, during the public health emergency, um, the federal government and the state government were collaboratively to uh, increase um, allotments for food share. So we had um, what we called emergency allotments, which allowed individuals to receive uh the, those who were not at their maximum allow, allowed allowed um, them to receive additional um, food share dollars. And so, since the public health emergency has been um, has ended, um, the emergency allotments uh, have gone away, and so individuals uh, have gone back to uh, the amount um, and, and the eligibility levels that they were at previously. Which really, which really means that uh, some families uh, certainly got a bump during the public health emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those additional funds did go away since the emergency allotments ended. That was the
0: allotment. Does, did eligibility change at all over the course of all that?
1: No, eligibility didn't change. So mm-hmm. we are essentially back to routine um, operations now. So eligibility is still the same. Um, it's just that individuals were able to receive more uh, per month in certain circumstances. So individuals are still that are eligible for our program. um, it it is still at the, uh, 200%, uh, people are eligible for food share. If their gross income is less than 200% of the federal poverty level. And so that continues moving forward. Um, for, for people that means uh, to put it in, in, uh, dollar terms Mm -hmm. for it's for individuals that make, uh, less than, uh, $2,400 a month for a family of $1 or $5,000 a month for a family of 4.
0: And for someone who's hearing this and saying, "Hey, wait, I'm in that income level. I'm not currently receiving a food share. What is the process? What do they do to apply?"
1: Yeah, so anyone can go online to access.gov and check their check their whether or not they are eligible for this and other programs that fall under Medicaid. Um, you can also go into across the state uh, we have various what are called income maintenance offices, and you can work with folks there to see whether or not you're eligible and apply, and you can also call in, although as as we all know, there's a, a lot going on with Medicaid uh, redetermination, and so if you are able to go online, you can do a lot of this work online without having to to call in um, to the the centers, but you can also call in to our income maintenance centers and talk to an individual.
0: Do we know if uh, we are using our food share to capacity? Is everyone who's eligible actually receiving it? Or is there a sense that there are a lot of people out there who could benefit from it, who would be eligible, but who, for whatever reason, uh, haven't applied?
1: We have looked into this, and it does appear that there are groups of individuals who may be eligible that are not signed up for the program. So we do highly encourage individuals. What we're seeing anecdotally is that some individuals who are over the age of 54 that are eligible um, may not understand that they also can receive food share, um, and we encourage them to look into it and see if they're eligible. Um, And I think we also are uh, consistently seeing that uh, children who are eligible are maybe not enrolled in the program.
0: Talking to Jamie Kuhn, director of Medicaid at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, where she oversees the food share program. We're talking about food share uh this that's a snap at the federal level how it works in Wisconsin who is eligible and you could join in at 800-642-1234 if you have an experience to share using food share yourself or maybe you've uh, helped and advised people who do with maybe a hunger relief service in your neck of the woods love to hear from you with your questions or your experiences at 800-642 one two three four. That's eight hundred six four two one two three four or email ideas at WPR.org. Uh Jamie, a lot of uh political back and forth over work requirements for food assistance, in this case food share. What is the current state of work requirements here in Wisconsin?
1: Yeah, so the federal government did uh change uh or update that through uh 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 recent legislation and so starting October one, um individuals between the ages of 18 and I believe, sorry, let me double check, um 54 uh will uh be required to work. And so we work with individuals uh, as they go through that process um to ensure that they have access to the sports that they need to to uh adhere to those those requirements.
0: And then there are various exemptions for people, even in that age range, Uh, at the younger end of it, I think if you're still in school, uh, what other kind of uh, things that might allow people to opt out of those requirements?
1: So veterans, for example, um, and obviously individuals who may have received, um, whether it be a healthcare professional or otherwise, uh, uh, documentation um, that they are not able to work.
0: It's Brianna Caller at 800-642-1234. Barbara is with us in Grand Marsh. Barbara, hi.
2: Hi.
0: What did you want to tell us about Barbara? Yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, first of all,
3: I'm I'm just a, a little bit over what I would get a month in Social Security. I also have hospital bills. I'm 84 years old. I get $16 a month. There are nights when I just have popcorn. $16 a month doesn't cut it. If somebody comes in from another country, they are given more money than I get.
0: Barbara, thanks for the call. Now, can you talk a little bit, uh, Jamie, about how much money people might get in different situations uh, when they receive food share? It's not going to be the same uh, for everybody.
1: Right. Your household uh, size as well as your income really determines how much um, you may be able to be eligible for. Um there are uh, maximum allotment amounts, and again that is affected by whether or not uh the number of people in your household um and your income limit but thank you for that thank you for calling in and i you know uh, we too uh struggle with how to make sure that um we are getting um uh the that we are we are making sure that people have access to as much as they possibly can and if and if you do have any questions about um your allotment, you can always work with our um, IM agencies to review that.
0: And I wanted to ask that as a follow-up for Barbara, Jamie, if somebody says, you know, I think I probably should be eligible for more, and they want to check and make sure they're, they're not getting uh, a lower amount of food share than they might be eligible for, or if they're rejected for eligibility, uh, are there systems in place for them to uh, challenge that or to request a reevaluation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have um, what are called hearing processes so that people can uh, appeal the decisions of our program um, and and then they have a process by which they can go through to contest that.
0: Barbara, thanks again for sharing your experience. We're talking to Jamie Kuhn, director of Medicaid at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, about updates to food share since the pandemic started, what's changed recently and in general, what to know about the program, what you need to know if you're thinking of applying for it. Still time for you to join in at 800-642-1234. Are you struggling to pay for groceries? Do you use FoodShare now or have you in the past? Have you run into obstacles in trying to apply for FoodShare? Join in with your questions, your experiences, maybe your advice for other people in the process at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. You can also email ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up here on Central Time. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. We continue our conversation now with Jamie Kuhn, Director of Medicaid at the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. We're talking about food share here in Wisconsin. What's new? What eligible Wisconsinites should know? Still time for you to join in with your questions at 800-642-1234. If you use or have used FoodShare at some point in your life, love to hear from you about the process, what it meant for you. Join in at 800-642-1234. Jamie, before we go back to our callers, can you talk a little bit about what people can and can't use their FoodShare, their their Quest cards, uh, to buy? Yeah, certainly.
1: Um, so obviously, it is really focused on food we the The program is really geared around uh, trying to reduce hunger and ensure that we are supporting healthy outcomes so the the focus really is on making sure that you are spending it on actual food, not uh, pet supplies, um, not any um, animal live animals, whether it be uh uh a pets fish pets or otherwise, uh, vitamins, medicines, supplements. Um, and then of course, um, any alcohol is also not allowed.
0: And, uh, do you coordinate uh, the food share program with uh, hunger relief programs in different parts of the state?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're so grateful for all of our partners in this space. Um, We are always working with different entities, but we acknowledge um, all of the community-based organizations, whether it's food banks or food pantries around the states that not only do they help raise awareness about the program, um, but they also uh, are on the ground um, helping individuals with enrollment in food share and uh, doing so much um, as they did during the pandemic and even more um, now to ensure that uh, hungry families have access to food. So they're a huge part of making this program successful. Let's
0: go back to our callers. Suzanne is with us in Milwaukee. Suzanne, hi.
3: Hi. Um, I'm calling because I'm in Milwaukee
2: County, and I know that there is a program that functions called Senior Dining. And once a day, in different locations, one can get a wonderful meal.
0: Suzanne, we don't have a very good connection, but I think I made it out. There's a senior dining program, Suzanne says, in Milwaukee that could help out people like uh, Barbara, our previous caller. Uh, and uh, that actually fits right into what we were just talking about, Jamie, local providers. I mean, if somebody is applying for food share, are, is your agency able to help connect people with those things or, or, or do they have to kind of go out and find them on their own?
1: Um oh. No, I would say that the the, the local um, organizations, as well as our income maintenance um, or, uh, consortium and and workers, certainly have um, work with partners and know where resources are., uh, but obviously, at the local level, um, you have a lot of two one one access. Uh, you can call there to find out where other services are provided and where community, Uh, food sources are as well as sort of your local United Way and other and other organizations on the ground. Um, They all do a great job of connecting with one another.
0: Thanks a lot for that call and that suggestion at 800-642-1234. Lance joins us now in Ashland. Lance, hi.
4: Hi,
0: how are you? Good. What did you want to bring up?
4: Well, I I brought up I'm originally from Ohio,
2: Cincinnati, Ohio, and I moved up here many years ago because I love it in Wisconsin. (laughs) But I know a lot of people that actually get food stamps and they trade them out from cash, you know, and they trade them out uh, 50 cents on the dollar. And I was just wondering if there's any way they could tighten that up or there would be some more security that they could stop that because it's, especially with low income people, they just trade, they take the food stamps and trade them out for 50 cents on a dollar. And I was just wondering if there's any way they can stop that or if there's any way they can secure that. So that couldn't happen.
0: Lance, thanks for the call. We don't have, as we talked about earlier, Jamie, the stamps anymore. Are there, is there a system in place uh, that uh, guarantees that you know people use their quest cards and I don't know, uh, can't sell them on the market?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it is, it is, it is fraud <laughs> uh, food share fraud and we have, um, processes in place um, that uh, help, one, unearth these, but if individuals find um, that something, if individuals have had that happen to them directly where someone has stolen their card, there are ways for them to report that through um, and make sure that they get a new card. But certainly, uh, we have a lot of measures in place. Um, There are cases um, happening, and we uh, certainly have our Office of Inspector General that investigates and deals with any fraud,
0: Lance. But thanks.
1: I, what I would say is that a majority of individuals um, are utilizing food share to um, to uh, the way that they, that it is intended to be used for.
0: Thanks for the question, Lance. Uh, Ellen joins us now in La Crosse. Ellen, hello.
1: Hi, I'm calling
3: in. I'm a benefit specialist uh, in my area, and I help people understand how earned income might affect the benefits they receive, like Social Security, Medicaid, and food share. I definitely don't pretend to understand the whole food share calculation. I understand it's kind of complicated with credits being applied, um, certain utility allowances, but I just wanted to hear a little bit more about medical expenses and how folks can report those and it can maybe help a food share payment be higher.
0: And Ellen, uh, before we let you go, what, uh, is there a particular community you work with uh, when you work with food share and Medicaid?
3: Yeah, uh, people that are working through the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, so individuals with disabilities um, that are going to work, I counsel
2: them on their benefits.
0: Ellen, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, Jamie, uh, when people are filling out forms, are there, uh, are, is there a consideration of, oh, you have a lot of medical bills? Well, that, uh, that comes out of your income as we calculate what you get in food share benefit.
1: Yeah and certainly thanks um thanks to the caller for doing that work because it is um there are a lot of rules and regulations and we appreciate anyone who is willing to be on the front lines for that. Um certainly there are um exemptions for income um that can be uh can help increase to her point exactly can help increase the am- allotment that you are able to receive. So um there there are very varying degrees by which that can be applied. Um, to the food share program.
0: Thanks a lot for the call, Ellen. Uh, on the amount of the allotment, we heard from Chris in Milwaukee, who wonders, what is the maximum amount, say, for a family of four?
1: Oh, I just had, I was just looking at that, Rob. Um, let me... If, uh... For a family of four, <laughs> the maximum allotment is $973. dollars
4: all right,
0: uh let's go back to our calls now. Raleigh is with us in Oak creek raleigh
4: hi hi, I'm not sure if this was brought up already, but uh with food share, you can buy uh, certain plants at a garden center uh that produce food you know i e tomatoes uh peppers uh pumpkin uh even apple trees uh but you know um I'm thinking of the company Bonnie Plants, especially that you find at many garden centers. Um, but of course, you'd want to check with the retailer, you know, before you try using the food share. So just thought, enter into the conversation.
0: Right. Thanks for the call, Raleigh. Interesting. So, Jamie, if uh, if a particular uh, sales place does it, uh, food share can be used for food producing plants.
1: So, um, I think one of the things he's talking about is obviously healthy. Um, and fresh foods. Um, So we obviously work with our local grocers and others, including um, uh, many local farmers markets. Um, And you can use your Quest card um, at any of those participating entities. I think another thing that is really great about uh, trying to get uh, fresh food with your Quest card is there are are several entities right now um, that allow you to order online, um, as well as get it delivered for those with mobility issues. And so that's this another way to get fresher foods right um, but while utilizing your, your uh, food share benefits.
0: Thanks for the call. Time for one more caller. A Mia is with us in Sheboygan. Mia, hi.
2: Hi, um, I'm in Sheboygan. I'm actually at the health department dropping off paperwork that um, is required for the food share. Um, it is child support paperwork. Um, I just want to say that I don't want people to demonize um, people that are on food stamps. Um, You know, I heard about some immigrants and people selling them off. Um, Maybe people are lazy. I just wanna say that um, like the majority of people really need this and we are grateful. Um, Also, I want to ask, um, about the work requirement on October 1st, if a person has a child and they're not, they don't have a job, um, will they still receive the benefits? Because, you know, the child might go hungry. That's just my question.
0: Yeah, thanks for the call. Uh, Jamie, do you have an answer for her?
1: Um so first off, I want to say thank you again for um, raising that issue. I think it is really important that we understand that any of us at any time could be in a situation um, a, a food insecurity situation. And it is really important that we make sure that people understand this is a program um, through the federal government that is available for those who are eligible. Um, I would have to, I would have to look into that, but generally speaking, um, we uh, individuals are, are eligible um in a household and they collectively would be become eligible but children are also um it children also have access to that as long as somebody is able to fill out the forms and apply for them so um if there is a situation that seems like it is uh they need extra supports i i would say back to one of our previous callers who um Is working in our income maintenance organizations they really they really do understand how to help families and in that way make sure that um, they are applying for the benefits they're eligible for
0: we'll leave it there jamie thanks again for joining us
1: thanks for having me rob
0: that's jamie coon director of medicaid at the wisconsin department of health services where she oversees the food share program she talked to us about the latest on wisconsin food share and what you need to know if you think you might benefit from assistance Tomorrow on Central Time, electric cars and human rights abuses around the world. That and more tomorrow on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Farad. You're with us here on the Ideas Network. Seems like everything can be smart nowadays in the world of technology, from phones to common household items like refrigerators and doorbells. While high-tech gadgets and apps can make our lives easier, the companies that make them are also in the business of collecting, even selling, our personal data. It's easy to see how something like a smartphone or fitness tracker could capture our data. Sometimes we're knowingly giving these devices our personal info. But a recent report from Mozilla's Privacy Not Included project found that the worst culprit when it comes to our data privacy could be our cars. Looking at the privacy policies of automakers, like all of them, the report finds data collected, used, even sold, including things like location tracking, the music we listen to, and even your sex life. You could join in at 800-642-1234. What do you think of companies collecting personal data through the products they sell and that we buy and use? Is it a trade-off you're willing to make in exchange for the convenience of smart devices? Do you have questions about cars the computer technology the apps that go along with them and the info that they do collect and what they do with it join in at 800-642-1234 that's 800-642-1234 or post on the ideas network facebook page jen caltrider is a privacy researcher and founder of the privacy not included project at the mozilla foundation jen welcome to central time Hey, thanks for having me. All right, now you've looked at a lot of different product lines in Privacy Not Included. Cars apparently stand out as across the board the worst when it comes to our data. Why?
3: Oh, yeah, cars were bad. Um, You know, we've been reviewing fitness trackers and smart speakers and robot vacuums and you see some bad things but then you look at cars and you consider the fact that modern cars cars built in the last three to five years have sensors that can tell how much you weigh or where you're going and how fast they have microphones they have cameras facing in they have cameras facing out they have connected services that um you know, let you listen to the radio or tell you where to go. They have apps that help you start the car remotely, and all these things are collecting and sharing data back to the car companies which, to be honest, uh, aren't the most ethical when it comes to privacy based on what we can tell in their privacy
0: policies. We'll dig into those privacy policies in just a moment. I want to talk about the Privacy Not Included project a little bit, cars, and as you mentioned, lots of other products. What made you want to dig deep into the privacy policies behind the products we use?
3: Well, nobody likes to read privacy policies. So, you know, (laughs) one day I woke up and said, I'll do it for you. Uh, and, and so back in 2017, more and more of our devices were co- getting connected to the internet and there were view sites out there for, you know, features and reliability, consumer reports and CNET and places like that, but nobody was looking specifically at privacy and, and Mozilla's, um, mission in the world is to make the internet better. So we decided let's do a buyer's guide for privacy and security of our connected products. And we started with the smart speakers and fitness trackers. And over the years we've done, any number of things, mental health apps, reproductive health apps, video call apps, robot vacuums, smart watches for kids. So, you know, you can go to privacynotincluded.org and, and read a review and know if what you're buying is good or bad or if there's a better option.
0: Now, digging into the privacy policy of cars, uh, it seems uh, some models are, are bad and they range from bad to terrible. Uh, what were some of the things that stood out to you as you started to go through these privacy policies when it came to uh, the data that, that automakers can collect and and what they do with it.
3: Yeah, cars can collect a huge amount of data. And, you know, we, we, we thought of cars as a private space, you know, a place where you can have a conversation with your kid or cry after a breakup or sing at the top of your lungs. But nowadays, cars uh, have a lot of, you know, like I said, sensors. Um, you know, we got a camera on, on a lot of our faces to see if we're looking like we're sleepy. And, and those cameras... Can can see us at all times and cameras facing out. And, and then all the sensors these cars have, you know, the privacy policy say they can collect a ton of data on not just where we are, but how long a trip we're taking and where we're going and where we're stopping along the way and what internet radio station we're listening to and, and how many people might be in the car, whether you're using your seatbelt. And then... You know, you plug in those connected services and they're like, you know, hey, where did you go? Where did you stop? Outside of what store did you stop? Um, and it's just a lot, a lot of data. And then there were some things that really surprised us in the privacy policies. When you're reading a privacy policy and you see that a company says they can collect your sexual activity and use it to facilitate direct marketing, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like that raises an eyebrow. Uh, why does a car need that to provide me the service of getting from point A to point B safely or genetic information? And so, yeah, cars, I think car companies were kind of counting on us uh, being, you know, not paying attention. Uh, but it's time to pay attention.
0: Talking to Jen Call Trider from the Privacy Not Included Project at the Mozilla Foundation looking at cars, uh, described in their research as the worst product category we have ever reviewed for privacy. You could join in at 800-642-1234 with your questions about this, your worries, 800-642-1234. Let's go to your calls now. Will is with us in Oconomowoc. Will, hi.
4: Hey, hey there. Um, well, I, after like 16 years of having my original car, which was a Chevy Trailblazer, and a, I don't think it had anything <laughs> other than, a, the, you know, just the starter battery, Um I got a 2020 Subaru Ascent, and um, as as your caller's mentioning, yeah, it, it definitely does watch my face. It's got that eyesight feature. And as a teacher, um, our school district got hacked, so all my biometrics were taken. I've, I got told that I had the ability, if I wanted to join in a class-action lawsuit. But really there was no like recourse for me to and you know my fingerprints out there and at the end of the day companies uh bartering and and doing what they want with this information is one thing but it seems like increasingly this stuff is up for grabs for hackers and and if the companies don't want the consumers themselves to know about it then The companies probably really don't want us to know about how secure their silos are for this data, uh, whether or not it gets hacked by bad actors or other companies.
0: Well, thanks a lot for the call, Jen. That is something you're worried about. Car companies have all this data that they say they can collect on us. What do we know about how secure that data is in their hands?
3: Well, interestingly, the majority, I believe the majority of the co- companies we reviewed actually did have serious security breaches or leaks in the past three years. That's something we looked at is known track record of companies and Toyota and and, and on down the line have had, you know, millions of of, of personal people's personal information leaked, um, security vulnerabilities in the cars that could let people access it. Things like that. And, and so that's not uncommon. And on top of that, when you read a privacy policy, you'll often stumble across the section that will say something to the effect of, hey, we can't guarantee anything is going to be 100% sure that you share with us over the internet. So just know that we can't guarantee that your data is going to be safe with us once you share it. So they tell you that in their privacy policy.
0: Thanks a lot for that call at 800-642-1234. Sorry about that hack at your workplace. Uh, We'll go now to Dennis in Two Rivers. Dennis, hi.
4: Hi. Uh, When I use software, whether I buy it or whether it's free, I end up uh, seeing now and then when I use it or when I log in, I need to agree to the privacy policy and the terms and conditions. So if I buy a car or some other product, that a physical product, am I going to end up agreeing to new versions of their policies and terms and conditions just to keep using the products?
0: Dennis, thanks a lot for the call. Jen, that's something you looked at, uh, consent when we purchased the car and uh, as we use it.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, most people don't ever, you know, who bought a car don't be like, well, when did I consent to this privacy and data collection? You know, we saw one one car maker said that just something as simple as becoming a passenger in a connected car, they considered you a user, which meant you had consented to their privacy policy. Um, so a lot of times this, the consent that they're saying that they're getting from users is really not explicitly given. And then one of my favorite parts of reading these privacy policies was the lines that we saw in it where they said, it's up to you, the driver of the car, to let any passenger that gets in the car with you to know our privacy policies about data collection, which makes us chuckle because nobody picks up their buddy to go to a movie and says, wait, before we leave, I got (laughs) to read you the privacy policy first. Maybe you do. Well, (laughs) I'm not
0: that bad. I'm close, though. Talking to Jen Caltrider. thanks a lot for that call. Jen is a privacy researcher and founder of the Privacy Not Included Project at the Mozilla Foundation. And we're talking about a new report that Jen co-authored, finding that cars are the worst offenders when it comes to data privacy. You could join in at 800-642-1234. Do you drive a smart car? Would you Would knowing that a car company is collecting your personal data make you think twice about purchasing from them? How do you feel about cars using artificial intelligence? Do you think the extra bells and whistles are worth the privacy trade-offs? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. You can also post on the Ideas Network Facebook page. We'll continue the conversation coming up here on Central Time. You're listening to Central Time on the Ideas Network. I'm Rob Farad. Right now, we're picking up the conversation about cars and data privacy with Jen Caltrider, privacy researcher and founder of the Privacy Not Included Project at the Mozilla Foundation. You can join in at 800-642-1234. What do you think about companies sharing and selling your data? How about... Cars, are you surprised to hear how much data car companies can collect from you while you use their product, whether you're driving or just catching a ride with someone else? Do you want to see regulations to change things? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Let's go back to your calls now. John is with us in Madison. John, hi.
4: Hey, um, I am wondering how many of these data collections Uh, Mechanisms could be disabled by the end user.
0: Interesting question, John. Uh, Can we opt out with our own cars, John?
2: Well, it's really hard to opt
3: out. Um, You know, I'll give you an example. Tesla, a very connected car, has in their privacy policy they say, "Hey, you you buy our car because it's connected, Um, but if you want to opt out for data." privacy reasons, sure, go ahead, here's how, but they go on to say in that same paragraph in their privacy policy, oh, by the way, if you opt out, your car might become inoperable or not receive safety updates and become unsafe. And that's pretty common with these cars. They seem to link some of the safety features to the the data sharing in ways that makes it hard for users to opt out um, and then still retain a, a safe, operable car in the ways that you want it to.
0: Thanks a lot for that call at 800-642-1234. Robert joins us now in Abrams. Robert, hi.
4: Hey there. I just wanted to make a quick uh, observation. It feels as though we've enabled a society with these uh, legal agreements where we've created uh, a disproportionate power aggregating to those who actually uh, have all of this data. It's almost like the a relationship of the one-way mirror where they have knowledge and insight into us, but we don't even know who they are. Um, I think it's a pretty uh, dystopian view of something as simple as transporting ourselves and our families to and from our places of business, school, Uh, It's a really bad distortion for society, in my opinion.
0: Robert, thanks a lot for the call. Jen, you've spent a lot of time researching and thinking about this. Do you feel that uh, almost dystopian uh, feeling about this data collection that Robert has?
3: Oh, gosh, absolutely. And I've been doing this since 2017, so I've just seen it get worse and worse year after year. And every year I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. And then the next year it gets worse. And one of the problems is that the United States doesn't have a federal privacy law. You know, the European Union has GDPR, which protects them, gives, gives users the right for things like to access and delete their data, which we don't have across the board here in the United States. So I think it's past time for us to have a federal privacy law. I think, you know, car companies aren't going to change on their own. And so, you know, people should be getting mad and contacting their elected officials and saying, hey, let's, let's fix this, because it is getting more and more dystopian.
0: Thanks for the call, Robert. Jen, with a lot of products, we might say, well, company A, I don't like what they're doing here. I'll go buy from company B. Uh, there is no company B, according to your report. They're all pretty bad, right? There's no, like, hero of the story here.
3: Yeah, there there is no hero. All 25 of the car brands we reviewed earned our privacy not included warning label, which is a first. Um, You know, we have standards, but we don't think our standards are so strict that companies shouldn't be able to meet them. And so, yeah, they're all bad. and, and And it's hard when you want to tell people, here's some things that we think you can do to actually legitimately protect your privacy with cars. All I can really tell people is to get mad and call your elected official, which doesn't feel like much. But with every movement, there's a tipping point where people finally say enough. You know, maybe this will be the time when people say this is enough. Let's let's fix this. This is not right.
4: What
0: have you been hearing from people since this report came out? I know you've been talking about in the media. Are you getting a sense that people are getting uh, mad as heck, uh, not willing to take it anymore and and reaching out to call for some kind of changes here?
3: Yeah, you know, I've been really pleasantly surprised by the response that we've gotten to this research as we were doing it, um, the three of us, the, the three researchers that I work with, we were all like, holy cow, this is so bad, I can't believe how bad it is, and how come nobody's talking about it? And we're like, oh, it's it's our responsibility to get people talking about it, and this is step one. You know, I get asked questions a lot, a lot about, well, how are they collecting it? And things that I can't answer because, you know, we couldn't dig into the technical side. So there's so much more to look into. And and I've talked to people that are like, hey, I'm an engineer. I'm going to look into this more deeply. Um, you know, I've had media outlet, outlets contact and, and be like, we're going to do a deeper dive on this. And so that's exactly what we're hoping to see, that this is step one. Um, and people are starting to not just be aware, but to care um, and, and again, you know, car companies don't have a, a long history of ethical behavior. You know, I'm old enough to remember the Ford Pinto. And so, you know, this is, you know, it, it took a lot of time to make changes on things like, you know, seatbelts in cars. And so it might take some time on this, but, you know, the ball is rolling and I'm really happy to see you all, um, paying attention and and talking about it.
0: Jen, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Yes. Yeah, thanks so much for having
0: me. Been talking to Jen Caltrider, privacy researcher and founder of the Privacy Not Included project at the Mozilla Foundation. We've been talking about her recent report showing that cars are the worst product category for privacy and what consumers can do to protect their personal data in a sea of smart products. You can check out that report. We're going to get a link up at WPR.org slash central time. If you have concerns, if you've encountered things like this yourself, if you work in the automotive industry, love to hear your perspective. Still time. You can head over to the Ideas Network Facebook page or email ideas at WPR.org.